Well, we have certainly missed our pastor, Pastor Lash, as he's been um, out for several weeks on much-needed and much-deserved vacation time. But the blessing has been that we've been able to welcome um, several other men to the pulpit who have been able to preach from God's Word. Um, so it's my pleasure this morning to introduce uh, our guest preacher for this morning. Uh, his name is Tom Breeden, and Tom is an uh, ordained teaching elder in the PCA, uh, having served at Grace Community Church in Charlottesville as assistant pastor. So we look forward to hearing him preach from the Word this morning. So welcome, Tom. So, as, as he said, my name is Tom Breeden. It's a privilege to be here with you. Our passage this morning is going to be Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Uh, you can look that up in your Bible. You can pull it up on your phone. Uh, I believe it, it'll also, I think, appear behind me. But however it is that you do it, you're going to want to have it in front of you because I'm going to point back to specific verses a lot, uh, and it'll just be a lot easier to follow me. Uh, so, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he, came, when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we come and sit before your word, we pray that your spirit would teach us. Lord, there's so much that we don't know, so much that we need to know. And so we pray that we would have ears to listen and hearts to receive. Lord, help us to walk away from this with a clearer picture of who you are and what you've done for us and how we might love and follow you more faithfully. Lord, bless our time in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this is the good life. Now, when I say that, what's the picture that comes to your mind? Maybe it's a nice, cold margarita on a hot summer beach. Or maybe it's a good book snuggled up near the fireplace as you watch the snow fall out of the window. Maybe it's cresting that mountaintop just in time to see the sunrise and to watch the sunlight spill into the valley down below. Or maybe it's that Friday night when everyone is home with a nice big bowl of ice cream under one roof watching a movie that everyone agreed on. That's the miracle of it, right? <laughs> now we all have different pictures of what we think of when we think of the good life, but we think of something, don't we? And despite those differences, there's also things that all of these pictures have in common. Because I'll bet none of you imagined awkward conversations at the dinner table, did you? None of you pictured late night trips to the emergency room. Because when we picture the good life, 
we edit out all of the bad days, don't we? We think only of the good times. And that's what makes this passage so striking to me. Because as Jesus describes the good life, he doesn't leave out the hard things. In fact, those are the things that he specifically names. Jesus names the hard stuff. And that tells me that just maybe there's something missing in our picture of the good life. And if something was missing, wouldn't you want to know what it is? If there was a road to that good life, this life filled with blessing, wouldn't you want to know how to get on it? That question leads us to the Beatitudes this morning. Because in this famous passage, Jesus describes what the blessed life really looks like. Not just our imaginary pictures of it, but the true blessed life. So in cliche preacher fashion, I have three points for us this morning. First, we'll explore this idea of the blessed life. Then we'll look at this blessed life in the life of Jesus Christ himself. And finally, we'll wrap up with how this blessed life can become our life. And so for all the note takers in the room, that is the blessed life, Christ's life, and finally our life. So let's start at the beginning because from the outset, the Beatitudes immediately entice us with this idea of blessing. Right? No word repeats more often in this passage than blessed. Jesus uses the word nine times in 12 verses. And so his point is clear. This passage is about blessing. So let's start with that first point. What is this blessed life that Jesus is talking about? Now, words aren't much good without definition. What does it mean when we say blessed? If you look back at some older translations of your Bible, you'll notice that this passage doesn't even say the word blessed. In those older translations, it will say happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. And that's essentially what the Greek word means. The Greek word just means happy. But that's not what my translation says. And I'm willing to bet it's not what your translation says either. So what gives? See, in our culture today, happiness is a pretty fickle thing, isn't it? It describes usually an emotion that I feel based on my immediate circumstances. Happiness is how I feel right now. If I catch three lights in a row and they're all green, I'm happy. But as soon as I get stuck behind the mail truck, all of my happiness is gone. Right? This is happiness. It's, it's, if circumstances are good, I'm happy. If circumstances are bad, I'm not. Do you know that feeling? Of course, I'm in, I'm in Northern Virginia. This is the land of traffic. You know exactly what I'm feeling. When we talk about being happy, we usually mean something that's pleasant, but fragile. It can be easily gained, 
but just as easily lost. But this passage has something else in mind. Because the Greek word that Jesus uses is far richer than what we mean when we say happy. If happiness is like the gas that you put in your car, blessedness is like jet fuel. It's high performance. It's high grade. It, it does more. Blessingness, blessing, blessedness, is the sort of happiness that transcends those circumstances, that overcomes those earthly cares. It's a deep, rich, soul-satisfying joy. Now, doesn't that sound like the good life? It's so good, in fact, that the Greeks wrote about it all the time. Like, the Beatitudes are not something unique to the Gospels. It was actually a common genre of ancient Greek literature. And what these Greek Beatitudes did was they would highlight what was valuable and praiseworthy. And it was almost always like really earthy, here and now type of stuff. A mother was blessed because she raised a good son. A young man was blessed because he married well. A politician was blessed because he had reached the height of fame and fortune. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Does it sound familiar to the way that we talk about being blessed? I scrolled around social media a little bit looking for how people use this word blessed. And you know what I found? I found sports victories and trophies. I found vacation photos. I found car upgrades. Now, don't get me wrong. All of those are great things to be excited about and happy about. Share your vacation photos, right? That's not, that's not my application here. We'd be happy about any of these things. But do you notice what they have in common? They're all about right now. Just like the ancients before us, when we think about blessing, many of us are thinking about whatever it is that makes us happy right now. Not a single one of those posts said, we're mourning the loss of our family dog, we'll miss her. Hashtag blessed. Not a single one said, I was bullied at school today for being a Christian. Hashtag blessed. Because that's not the kind of stuff that makes us happy, right? So how striking is it that that's exactly what Jesus names? He says in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. He says in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Do you see what's going on here? In his Beatitudes, Jesus was doing something that was totally revolutionary in his day. And I want to suggest still revolutionary in ours. Because according to Jesus, the good life doesn't depend on experiencing all of life's pleasures now. Because those come and go. The good life doesn't exclude suffering and hardship because otherwise none of us could get it. The whole point of Jesus' Beatitudes 
is a better way to view our joy. And so look back at this passage with me. Why are the poor in spirit blessed in verse 3? Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Mourning sounds like the total opposite of blessing. But in verse 4, Jesus says the mourner is blessed because comfort is coming. In verse 7, why are the merciful blessed? Because they will receive mercy for themselves. In these verses, Jesus is redefining what it means to be blessed. That it doesn't depend on our happiness and our circumstances in a present moment. But that instead, it comes from our future joy. Blessing is future-oriented. We can be satisfied and secure in whatever life throws at us right now. Because we know that we have a future. Because there's something out there waiting for us. An unshakable, indestructible hope. And as Christians, our joy today is wrapped up in those things. In the life that is to come. And Jesus says that is the blessed life. And more than anyone else, Jesus knew what he was talking about. Because he knows firsthand what it's like to live this life for the sake of future joy. Because that's exactly how he lived his own life when he lived on earth. He knows what it's like to laugh. But he also knows what it's like to cry. As Isaiah prophesied, he would be the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus knows what we feel. He knows what we experience each and every day. And his life is the example of a life that is oriented not around present circumstances, but around future blessing. And so for our second point, I just want to think about his life. Because the Beatitudes are all about the life of Jesus Christ. Now, some years ago, I had the chance to visit New York City with some friends. But here was the catch. We only had one day. It was a really short trip. And if any of you have ever visited New York City, you know that it is absolutely impossible to take in the entire city in one day. But ambitiously, we decided to try. And so here was our strategy. We were going to get just the best taste of the city that we possibly could. And I mean that literally. We just ate our way across the city. We got some pizza. We scrambled it a little Italy to get some cannolis. Some of the guys even braved one of those really sketchy hot dog carts because they wanted the full New York experience. Teach their own. But we ate our way all over Manhattan, and something like 5,000 calories and 20,000 steps later, we felt like we had gotten just a taste of New York City. Now, why on earth am I telling you that kind of disgusting story? Because the Beatitudes are like New York City. We cannot possibly mine these 12 verses for everything that they have to say in just one, one sermon. But I get one Sunday morning with you. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to eat our way through the city. 
we're going to get a taste of, of the richness that these verses have to offer us. And if we're only going to get a taste, then I want that taste to be Jesus Christ. Because these Beatitudes are all about him. Every single one of them is about him. So let's pick up in verse 3. Jesus starts with the poor in spirit. This is somebody who's been humbled. Maybe it's by material circumstances, like poverty. Maybe it's by something else. But whatever has happened to this person, the poor in spirit has been brought low. And ask yourself, has anyone ever been brought as low as Jesus Christ? God himself came to earth and people spit at him. But the second half of this beatitude is also true of Jesus. Because in his resurrected life, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, better than any earthly kingdom, belongs to him. Jesus is the one who mourned. He cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But now he finds his comfort at the right hand of God. And he will never feel forsaken again. Jesus is the meek. Never once, never once did he return violence for violence. In fact, with his dying breath, he prayed that God would forgive his murderers. Think about that for a second. Like, let that sink in. As people were actively murdering him, Jesus prayed for their forgiveness. Does it get any meeker than that? And now verse 5 promises Jesus has inherited the earth. The book of Revelation tells us that at the end of days every knee will bow before him. Jesus is the one who hungered and thirsted for righteousness. In everything that he said, in everything that he did, he only desired to do his Father's will. And because Jesus performed his Father's will and he rescued sinners from the clutches of death, he hears his Father say, Well done, and the Son is forever satisfied. Jesus is the one who showed mercy. I mean, pick a page in the Gospels and you will find Jesus compassionately caring for other people. We find him bringing relief again and again and again to people who are suffering under the weight of sin. Now, at one level, Jesus didn't receive mercy because mercy is something that we don't earn. We don't deserve mercy and Jesus deserves every good thing. But as we think about Jesus' sufferings, why did he suffer? He suffered for us. He suffered because of our sins, because of the things that we have done, and he took those upon himself. And so Jesus received relief from the suffering that he didn't deserve, but that we did. After an agonizing crucifixion, he cried out, It is finished. And his sufferings were over, and death gave way to life again. Jesus is the one who's pure in heart. Never once 
did he defile himself with sin. Not in anything he did, not in anything he thought, not in anything he was motivated or desired. Jesus never sinned. And now he's sitting on the throne where he sees God. Jesus is the peacemaker. He shed his blood to tear down the dividing wall between us and God, but also between each other. Right? The fact that this church exists is a testament to the fact that Jesus brings peace. What else would gather us all together at this time on a Sunday morning except the fact that we're gathered around this Jesus? And what was his reward for his obedience? Do you remember what God the Father said at, at Jesus' baptism? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Just like verse 9 promised, the peacemaker was declared the Son of God. Jesus is the one who was persecuted for righteousness' sake. His enemies killed him simply for telling the truth that he was God who had come into the world for the forgiveness of sins. And circling all the way back, just like we said at the beginning of the list, despite his persecution, the kingdom belongs to him. Friends, Jesus Christ is the blessed life of the Beatitudes. This life is his life. He endured every hardship. He suffered all things, all for the joy that was set before him. And he has received every reward that is promised in this passage. He endured all these things because the kingdom of God is worth it. Because that is the good life. That is the blessed life. And so I've told you these beatitudes are all about Jesus. But that doesn't mean they're not also about you. If your faith is in Jesus, then Jesus is alive in and through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so how does his life, how does his blessed life become ours? And that's the last point for our, for our morning. The most important place to start as we think about how his life becomes ours is to talk about faith. Because, friends, the Beatitudes are not a checklist for how you can get to God. I promise you, if you treat this as the, the way to, to get there, the way to earn it, the way to show up, you will, run, you will run and you will run and you will run and you will fall flat on your face, exhausted, and still falling short of the goal. Because it's not enough to live like Jesus. We need Jesus to live in us. And that starts with faith. And so for some of you, that's the only application point you really need to think about this morning. You officially have my permission to tune me out for the rest of the sermon. Because there is no more important question to consider than will you put your faith in this Jesus and receive the blessings of his life? But I know that many of you have already done that. And so then the question becomes, how do we make the most of those blessings? And again, in good preacher fashion, I have three recommendations, and they all start with P. You're welcome. People, priorities, and patience. 
Let's start with people. Who is it that you look up to? If you're, a, a, if you're young, if you're a kid, there's maybe a, a teacher or a coach who inspires you. If you're an adult, maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's that manager who has found a way to not make Zoom meetings soul-crushing. But whatever stage of life we're in, we all have people that we look to, that we aspire to be more like. Where do those people point you? Does their example lead you to press on, to put your hope in the things to come, or are they still peddling the same garbage of your best life now and, and making the most of earthly things? Church, we imitate the people that we look up to for good and for bad, often without even noticing that we're doing it. So who are the people that you admire and where is it that they point you? But we also live out these blessings with priorities, by setting the right priorities. And so here's the test for our priorities. What is something worth to you? Let's look at verse 11 as an example. Jesus says, when you, uh, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, why is that blessed? Because verse 12 says your reward is great in heaven. If heaven is our priority, if the kingdom is our priority, then we're willing to suffer setbacks in this life. We're willing to receive what hardships life throws at us and not be totally undone by it. But if something is more precious than that, Maybe it's our comfort, maybe it's our reputation. Then we'll chase after that instead. And so Christian, what is most precious to you? Because the more stable it is, the more stable your joy will be too. And then the last P to think about these blessings is patience. Did you notice how many of these beatitudes are future-oriented? Verse 4 says the mourner shall be comforted. Verse 5 says the meek shall inherit the earth. And it goes on like that. Verses 6 through 9 are all future-oriented. And that means that we have to be patient. Sometimes it takes a while for us to see the goodness of God through the storm clouds. But just because there are storm clouds doesn't mean that it's not coming. And I know some of you need to hear that this morning. Because there's all kinds of storms going on. But just because your life is hard in this moment doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that he has withdrawn his blessing from you. If anything, the Beatitudes tell us the opposite. That it's in our hardships that we reflect even more on the blessings that are to come. Because those are secure in Christ. So brothers and sisters, be patient. Your Savior will not fail. He will not change his mind. All of these rewards are coming. That's what the good life is really about. Not my circumstances today, but, but my unshakable future in Christ. And as I think back... As I think about this passage, I think about this truth. 
It takes me back to one of my favorite stories from the civil rights movement. Some of you are probably familiar, in 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama, the buses were still segregated. And after a long day of work, Rosa Parks sat down and refused to give up her seat and moved to the back of the bus. And this sparked a year-long protest where African Americans in Montgomery wouldn't ride the bus until the buses were desegregated. Now, you probably know about Rosa Parks, but I suspect you might not know about one of my heroes, this 72-year-old woman named Mother Pollard. Now, think back to a moment. Have you ever felt so discouraged that you were just ready to throw in the towel? Like, enough is enough. It might be hard to imagine, but that's how Martin Luther King felt during the, the bus boycott. Negotiations were dragging on and on. Nothing seemed to be making any progress. Dr. King was tired and he was upset. And as he came to the worship service that evening, he carried all of that discouragement with him into the church. But before he climbed into the pulpit, Dr. King ran across Mother Pollard. And for months, people had been trying to get her to quit. They'd been offering her rides to work. For months, people had been saying, but your health, you're 72 years old. How long can you walk around town? Surely it's okay if you sit this one out. And you know what she told them? Every time they tried to get her to quit, she said to them, my feet is tired, but my soul is rested. And then she went right along walking wherever it is that she was going to go. Each and every day. My feet is tired, but my soul is rested. And when Dr. King heard those words, that was enough to renew his hope. And again and again, Mother Pollard was like the unofficial encouragement for all of those pastors that were getting discouraged. Did they believe that God was going to be faithful or not? Surely the circumstances were hard, but was God going to be faithful? And if they weren't so sure, well, she was sure enough for everyone. I love this woman because she captured the heart of, of what's in these Beatitudes. That the good life doesn't come from our present circumstances. It comes from our steady anchor of hope. It comes from a future that is guaranteed for us by a faithful God who loves us. And so it means that even when our feet are tired, our souls can have rest. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to keep walking. Because I know that your feet are tired. I know that marriage is not the, the rom-com that you thought it would be all the time. I know that parenting is discouraging, regardless of how old your children might be. I know that inflation is scary and that every time you fill up that gas tank, like you feel it in your stomach. I know your feet are tired, but does your soul have rest? Because in this passage, Jesus tells you that it can, that he can give you rest, that he can give us blessing no matter what our circumstances are. Because through faith in him, we will live with him. We will.
And that is the good life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we consider the good life, as we consider the life that is held out to us in Christ, we also think of our own. And we're aware of just how much we need him. And so we pray that you would be with us. That the truths of this passage would sink into our hearts and that we might cling to the gospel of grace and that we might cling to it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.